Luke chapter 6. But love your enemies and do good, and lend expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, be measured back to you. He, Jesus, also told them a parable. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? A disciple is not above his teacher. But everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. What do you see? Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, Brother, let me take out the speck that is in your eye, when you yourself do not see the log that is in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take out the speck that is in your brother's eye. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. <clears throat> Good morning. I'm Howard Brown, the pastor here <clears throat> at Christ Central Church. And uh, today we begin our Asking for a Friend sermon series. And uh, so far, I appreciate the questions you've sent and uh, that pose barriers uh, to belief and uh, barriers uh, for church and to church for people you know or even for yourself. I want you to feel free to continue to send in questions, um, additional questions as we go through this sermon series. In fact, as we go through this series, I expect more questions to rise from the questions we cover. I was telling the staff this week that possibly the number one indication that you have answered a question sent, and you've answered it straight on, right, straight on the head, it ironically causes one question to shatter and split into a hundred more. So I know that as we go through the Bible um, and as it speaks to us concerning questions we bring to it, that it will mean more questions and more curiosity. With that said, let me take time to let you know that some of the questions I got, I, I, I'm going to kind of stay away um, from talking about um, denominational distinction questions, um, even though what we believe here at Christ Central doctrinally or um, doctrinally may come out in some of the answers, and I'll do my best to say, hey, this is what we believe doctrinally. Um, and also, I'm going to extend the series. I was only going to do like a quick little thing in the summer, but y'all didn't give me quick little questions. Um, so when we begin to plot it out, it looks like we'll be spending the rest of 2018 in this series. <laughs> and I'm sure, like I said, once I answer questions, y'all have more questions. So we'll go through November, um, take some time, um, walk through it slowly. Um, let me see what else I want to say about this. Uh, I'm not going to be here every Sunday, um, and it isn't healthy to preach every Sunday, even if I were here. Um, so Pastor Amari Hill and Pastor Tom Henry are going to take up some of the questions in the series 
Um, and I'll also do my best to let you know which questions are coming the next week. Haven't done that yet. Um, so that you, you, you might have a friend who's interested, somebody who has actually asked you that question, or a group of people you like, you know, you got to hear this. Um, and uh, you may want to bring them to church, invite them to church, whatever, um, ahead of time. Some other things, um, when I go through this, I am not af afraid to say, I don't know, okay? Because I don't know. Some of them questions, I don't know the answer to some of those things. Um, either because I'm just not mature enough biblically, or I don't have enough insight, just might be true, or the Bible doesn't give clear explanations on every single thing. This is not a science book, y'all. Um, and so I've decided um, also a number of questions about uh, the LGBTQ plus issues I'm going to kind of wait till after July to dig into those. Um, there's a, a really important conference in St. Louis that's happening in July called the Revoice Conference um, that is digging deeply into that subject. Um, and I want to either go to it or um, get some of the recordings that come out of it. Um, and so if you're interested in even going to the Revoice Conference as they deal with some of these issues um, in our churches, let me know. I can give you some information about that. Looks like it's going to be good. I was looking at some of the descriptions. I would love to go to that, at least get the recordings. Um, and finally, <clears throat> we have elders in this church, and we have women shepherds in this church, and we have leaders in this church, uh, other leaders, um, and there are people who can especially help you as these sermons splinter, right? It's going to splinter your heart. You're going to come away thinking, he said this, da, 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 da. like you're, you're going to come way like that, and I expect it. Um, so as you have these issues, and it's going to cause some personal self-seeking, um, not just you, but friends and neighbors and coworkers, I think it's important to kind of go to each other and be discipled by each other. Um, this is a long process, um, and these sermons are just a beginning of answering and dealing with some of these questions that aren't just here, y'all. And, and this is what I want you to know before I even get started in this sermon today. This is not the biggest problem up top, right? I can logically explain to you. I can give you an answer. It's here. And this is where it's going to be the challenge, is I'm looking at the answers myself. I'm like, mm, I don't like that, right? It's here. And so my hope is not to be the answer man, but to be your pastor, right? To give you hope through the Word of God, to, to see God's grace and Holy Spirit do an incredible work here, right? That can inform what you have here and what you see through your eyes and what you say with your mouth. So um, this, this is my hope uh, through this passage. Um, so today's question um, that I received was, why are Christians so judgmental and exclusive acting? And uh, I thought it was a good place to start because I think when we get the answer to this, we'd be in a better position in our hearts and our disposition and our manner to kind of deal with some of the issues that people who are not in church, who are not believers, who are questioning the faith, even people in church who are questioning the faith, like we need to have the right heart and manner as we engage people. And so I think this is a good place to start for us. And I'm sure that the question means that the barrier to belief is this, that judgmental and exclusive acting Christians, that's us, I'll put myself in that category, 
make it hard to believe the gospel. They make it hard to believe the God they say they represent. Well, the good news about this is that Jesus dealt with this issue directly, as you saw in our reading today, when he walked the earth. And he did so by engaging and correcting and challenging the theologians and moral leaders of the day, a religious Jewish group called the Pharisees. And these dudes were steeped in everything biblical and holy and moral and legal. And Jesus went after them as they came after him too, not just to expose them for their faulty faith, but he did so as we look at the scriptures now today as a warning to those of us who would follow him as a warning to us of falling into the exact same way of thinking, which means this. Christians are tempted to act just like these Pharisees. Self-righteous, legalistic, and insecure jerks sometimes. And there are three things I want us to answer this question with from this Luke passage. Number one, sometimes Christians act judgmental. Just got to accept that from what Jesus is teaching. Sometimes Christians mishandle what the Bible says. And finally, sometimes Christians forget the story of God's love for them. Look at verse 37 and 38 with me. It says here, judge not and you will not be judged. Condemn not and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. It says here, give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down. It's, a, it's an illustration of how they would measure out grain, right? You'd give it, press it down, shake it, make sure you got all, all your stuff, right? Um, give it and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. These verses, Jesus is making sure that his followers don't think that his ministry, that being a Christian is about being a judgmental person. He is calling believers in him to not be like the religious hypocrites of the day who were driven to do two things, to find fault with others and driven to be better than others. Look back at the first few verses of our passage, beginning at verse 35. It says here, um, but love your enemies. And I know when you start off with a conjunction, but it's some stuff ahead, but just trust me, it's in good faith here. But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great, it says, and you will be sons of the Most High most high, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful, even as your father is merciful. Now, we're going to come back to this verse at the end here. But Jesus is saying, in short, do not enter relationships with others. Don't interact with others with the end goal of, end goal of personal gain or making out better at someone else's loss, or someone else's lack, or someone else's need, or someone else's brokenness. And this is exactly what judging someone else in the way Jesus warns us against is all about. It is all about seeking and having and keeping the advantage. 
by showing how much someone else isn't or doesn't compare to what you are. It's using a, a moral, and Jesus used these scales here, it's using a moral balancing scale and then making a determination on what you read and how you determine to read it. So Jesus, again, uses a lot of weighing out and balance and scale imagery here. Jesus is saying this, judgmental people take from others, take by pointing out faults and then add to their side of the scale for more self-worth. It's like the lending imagery that you have here. It is putting someone else in moral debt by lending them your criticism of their lives in a way that gives you more credit. But it requires, right, taking worth, taking value from them by pointing out their faults and then boasting and weighing in your goodness and good works. And then on top of that, adding their lack to your side of the scale. It is safe to say that we sometimes give high interest moral and biblical advice and inspection and consulting services to people that many times they aren't even asking for. We do a, hey, take this for your life, right? Hear this good news. No, hear this bad news about yourself, right? When you do that, that's lending, right? That's the same thing as offering them something, right? You need this real bad, you're bad, right? Or you did wrong. That's the lending portion. And I am not bad. Right? I'm not doing that thing. That's taking the interest, right, from the moral loan and gaining on that thing at their expense. And the more moral lean of their badness and your goodness you can put them in, the better you feel. And boy, it feels good when others are really bad and you're really good and right. I can't take that away. It's just true. But here's the irony of the passage. Because Jesus says in the verses I just read in verse 37 and 38 about when you give it, it comes back. And if you measure, it comes back, right? He's saying that by the same measure you judge, the same measurement, the same law, the same rules, the same tenacity that you use to judge others, you will be judged back. Now, here's the hard part here. That should scare people. Oh, no, if I judge somebody, I'm going to be judged. Here's the craziness. Unfortunately, Jesus knows, knows what he's doing here because he's God and all. But, but unfortunately, that is exactly what the judgmental person wants or hoped for. Here comes the arrogance. Because when you are acting judgmental, you are arrogantly misreading God's word and thinking you have nothing to fear from the judgment that might come back. Because you're good. Which brings us to our second point here. Sometimes Christians can be judgmental and stay judgmental by mishandling God's word for their advantage in two ways. By adding to it and taking away from it as a way to judge others and make themselves feel less guilty. 
Look at verses 41 and 42 with me. It says here, why do you see the speck in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, brother, let me take out the speck that is in your eye when you yourself do not see the log that is in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take out the speck that is in your brother's eye. Now, Jesus is saying, um, when you get behind what he's getting at here, he's saying that based on how you interpret, let me emphasize you, based on how you interpret or apply or read God's law, you only see, right? You only allow and use God's law in a way that when you look at the world, everybody else is real evil and real wrong and real guilty. And that in turn lets you be, you read it in a way and use God's word in a way that in turn lets you be good or clean or free of besetting problems or in a way that makes it easy for you to clean up and repent. And when you read up on the Pharisees and religious people of the day, this is how they would do it. Okay? Hear this. They would take certain sins and certain laws, right? They, they were sins. They, they really were the law of God. I'm not taking that away. God has laws. He does tell us what sin is. Not taking that away. But they would take certain sins and certain laws and certain problems and give them greater weight. Or they would gut the other commandments of their deeper meanings and make things that were gray, black, and white to control their and other people's moral lives. In fact, in the Bible, there was a run-in with Jesus that he had with the Pharisees where they claimed, we're not adulterers. Because they not only claimed, we, not, you know, we didn't sleep with anybody, other woman who wasn't our wife, but ready? Re okay, ready, y'all? Here, here's the add-in. Ready? We don't even look at women when they go by. Okay? The law, right? Then the addition to the law. We don't even look. Okay? Then they would say, we won't even touch a woman. Okay? And then this is how they would continue the law on. So much so, if we see a woman coming, we're going to cross the street. Wait a minute, let's take it a little further. We won't have women be in the same room with us. Some Pharisees took it so far, they wouldn't talk to, they'd like, so here's the law. We don't even talk to women. Some Pharisees took it so far that they said they would not even talk to their own wives in public. We holy. Now, get this, now the standard of the law, now the moral compass is this. Did I see you talking to a woman? Now the new moral compass is when you walk by, I saw your arm brush up against someone's clothing. You evil, right? I saw you talking to your wife in public. That is so evil, right? Now, the law equals oppression. Do you see how that works? 
Now you've become judgmental about a law in a way God never intended it to be. But here's the backside to that that's real interesting. He said, you not only added to the law these other extra stuff about don't look or, or oh, don't look. So when Jesus talked to the woman at the well, he was breaking a pharisaical law of talking to a woman who he wasn't married to. Okay, so it, it, it wasn't the law, right? And, and so here's the deal. He says, y'all add to the law, but do you know as you added to the law, you also twisted it by gutting it of its real meaning? He says, okay, you say, yeah, we don't even look, we don't, live in the, we don't have them in the room, we won't walk on the side, same side of the street, we won't talk to them, we won't let them come to our mail, we have mail-only events, because we want to do, eh, we holy, right? Everybody else not like us is less holy. Jesus says, do you know, if you sexually violate a woman in your mind and heart, you've committed adultery. Oh, no. <laughs> Wait a second, Jesus. Hold up. We had this thing right. You see, I want you to understand that being legalistic or being a Pharisee is not just adding to the law. You see, when Jesus says, take the log that's out of your own eye, and, and maybe I'm getting a little ahead here, but taking the log out of your own eye, he is presenting to them an impossibility. Nobody can do surgery on themselves when they can't see. It doesn't make sense. You got a log in the eye. Take it out your eye. Well, it wouldn't be in the eye if you could take it out in the first place, and you can't see to take it out. So what he's saying is there is no way you can stand in so much moral certitude, right, and certainty in and of your own judgment and own twisting of the law where you can judge another one in a way that makes you better. We either take, we either add, rather, or we take away. See, Jesus teaches, his, his teaching is that being judgmental, legalistic, is a non-gospel, in a non-gospel way, is all about twisting and turning and weighing and even adding fences in ways that God's not commanded, y'all. Imagine if someone is like a real Christian or a good person, only watches PG movies. a fence around maybe a number of things, right? I'm not going to say that maybe PG movies have some things in them that other movies don't, that can avoid some sin in our lives. I'm not saying that. But to make a law of judgment that says you can only watch PG movies, right? And, and they may say, I'm doing this to be careful, and that may be okay, but to then look down or judge or demean someone as if they sinned if they watch a PG-13 movie, or that because you aren't watching that and only watching PG, guess what? You're free from sin, and you are not able to sin by watching only PG. It's judgmentalism and the kind of judgmentalism Jesus speaking of that requires adding or taking away from the law. Yes, you can watch Kung Fu Panda, and that movie can make you sin. I, I don't know what, it could be you watching him, he's eating something, you're like, man, I, I got to eat too, and you're not supposed to be eating that. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe watching Kung Fu Panda is like, I got to have one of those pandas. You go to China, you steal a panda. I don't know. <laughs> steal a panda, you're going to jail, Right? But here we go to something more serious, the political thing. 
Oh, Lord Jesus, you're right. Why I got to get into this? Because I got a number of political questions too. Many from y'all. This political thing with us evangelical Christian church groups. I've heard it, and we judge people for their political choices because abortion or homosexuality are the most important pieces, right? The nuclear family and prayer in schools. And on the other side, some think you can't be a Christian and have voted for Donald Trump. Yeah, I got a question. How can you be a Christian and voted for Donald Trump? Because of his divorces, because of his infidelity, because of his demeanor. And we'll get into the political thing in our series. Let's not go there yet. But we even make some sins greater as if that means ours are not as bad or require something different to be acceptable before God. See, that's another way of being judgmental. My sin doesn't require what your sin requires to be better. I don't need as much help. You, what? You need a lot. You need deliverance. You need an exorcism. I just need to do a couple devotional books, right? <laughs> and you know what that applies? I think it, 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 we are essentially better. Some of us think we're better than others who are now described as sexual minorities. The LGBTQ folks. Some of us take words the Bible uses like abomination and unnatural, and we take that and we create sexual inequalities that God has not put in place. And I'm going to leave it at that just to make you curious about what I'm going to say. We'll get back to it. And in the latest backlash and attack on evangelicalism, many of us in our minds and in our conversations make being a conservative evangelical synonymous with not being an authentic Christian. You see how you can fall off both sides of a horse? Or you think people who are conservative are weirdos and you're better because you go to the public schools and on and on and, 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 and you're good at dogging on others who voted for this or, who, or that who claim to be Christians and we are better because of it because we are woke. Careful you wokeness Christians that what God may be doing as far as revival and reformation doesn't turn to judgmentalism and Phariseeism on the left side of the formula. Man, it's easy pickings on conservative Christians today. Ooh, I mean, they ain't authentic. They ain't this. They ain't that, right? They voted right. That's wrong, right? Come on, we woke. Come on. I ain't heard God name once. Right? All I hear is your views. I don't see no scripture proof. I don't see no humility. I don't see no repentance. All I see is criticism, criticism, criticism. Right? So, I, you know, you think, oh, I know he's going to come in. He, you know, the PCA kind of, as a denomination, leads a little right. He's going to come in and attack the right. No. This is about Phariseeism. This is about judgmentalism, y'all. Already? Here's one. We a diverse church. Turn to Revelation. That's in the Bible. Where you at, dog? Right? What's your church look like? Sinners, right? I know what y'all thinking. Is there some things that aren't right or wrong, or is this orthodox or is it sanctified? Well, of course, right? But to make that the point of righteousness... 
to eat that like a meal of, 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 of sanctification. You, you just can't do it. I'm glad you're back, Mr. Charles. <laughs> and we take God's law and we add or take away that make others super guilty and less and morally faulty. You know, when he, you see this, uh, this imagery. I didn't know if I was going to go here. I'll just go ahead and do it, but I, I got to pick it up later. The log in the eye, y'all. I would say it used to be a speck. The way we use God's law, it grows, right? Our blindness grows the more judgmental we get. Because now we can't see our own sin. The area that we've made ourselves feel better about is off limits because we've built a fence. What is the fence around? Not around God's goodness or holiness. That's not what Jesus is talking about, but it's around us. So it can't get close to us. And now we're blind. I'm going to skip this because that'll get us off. Now it leads to what we see going on in the world. Judgment and fighting and warring and online destruction of each other and derailing of humanity in this country by people who claim to be Christians. See, when Jesus says here, and this helps us understand this, that by the same measure you will be judged when you judge, it meant a couple things. But one thing it meant was that people will come back with what you dish out. That if you are judgmental and condemning and exploit the laws God and the Bible, laws of God and the Bible to make yourself better, that people will respond in kind. And that produces division and war and not conversation and communication. And it produces segregation and in some cases denomination. And it just becomes about throwing mud at each other because it is a war of who can come out looking the worse or better. And that hurts. And has created a cultural and moral and gender and theological war between churches and the church and the non-church. We had war with each other over who's better. That's not the gospel. And we, when we're engaged in and forced to change and twist the laws of God, what we do is we take the laws of God and we shape them into weapons instead of, the cro- instead of allowing the cross to shape them into invitations to salvation. We make high-powered doctrine and moral and political guns out of God's word and law, y'all. And the arms race between Christians and the world keeps going. And in many cases, it is the religious, it is us, it is we Christians who have started in sustaining the mudslinging. Makes sense what verse 39 teaches. Let's look at it. He also told them a parable. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. The last week we talked about this. We talked about being disciples, making disciples. Here's a hard one. All right, ready? 
especially Christians, you are making disciples. What kind of disciples are you making? Okay. You just might be making, like, you know what we go out and make? We don't make disciples of people who we have an opportunity to share the good news with or love or show mercy to. We're setting up fight clubs, y'all. Okay? We're, our type of discipleship is simply engaging people so we can dog them. Right? Well, we're just engaging in this fight. And that's what we're about. Now, I think it's interesting what verse 39 is saying here because it says they'll both go into the ditch, right? A judgmental person, a judgmental approach that we've been talking about, a law-bending approach to get people to a certain moral behavior that you think is most important, it leads you where, the Bible says, with the big log in your eye, into the ditch. Do you know what the ditch is? The ditch is the sewer, Right? It's where the runoff is. It's where the crap is, right? This is about taking the argument, the discussion, the questions, the issues people have into the sewer, y'all, into the mud, into the mudslinging that we see in our world. And guess what happens? Now Christians all over the TV, right? talking about this issue and that issue and talking against this person and that person, and we are nasty about it. So We're so nasty sometimes, and we've become known as the people who the news can use to kind of make the show exciting. Let's get this Christian on here. They hate gay people. Yeah, and then we just get on there, and we start fussing and fighting, and that Christian starts throwing out certain verses from the Bible and making, like, it, it gets crazy. Y'all know it. On Facebook, it gets ridiculous. And y'all are engaged in arguments that Jesus has not called you to engage in. You're just being nasty with each other. Now, I understand. If, if your world, you work for politics, that's fine. You've got to find a godly way to do it. But some of y'all are engaging in things. And wh where you are, you are in the ditch. And you're bringing more people in the ditch with you. So much so, y'all. And y you guys understand, especially in a place like Charlotte, where it's the Bible Belt, and you're down here. You, you... Why is it? that I'm afraid to let people know I'm a Christian sometimes. You know why I'm afraid? Because they're going to think I'm judgmental and mean. That's why. Oh, Lord, he's a Christian. And, and, and you don't understand, that's not all me, that's not all you, but you get in the position, and as soon as someone hears I'm a pastor, so I was in line with this lady, she, I was like, yeah, hey, how are you doing? And I, I'm imagining just because of what I know, she may not be going to church. And I said, yeah, how you doing? Hey, Pastor Brown, how you doing? I had to get my praise on early this morning, Pastor Brown. I was like, you didn't have to tell me that, right? <laughs> like, it, I'm looking, and you know how people still wear pajamas? I'm like, you look like you just got out the bed. But she was like, yeah, I, I got up. I go to the super early service at my church. I'm like, Okay. Good. How you doing? How's your coffee? Right? Like, because there is this fear that we're going to bring it in the ditch. And guess what people do? For their own safety and dignity and humanity. Think how opposite this is to what we believe the gospel teaches. For safety and dignity and humanity, 
in a sense of worth, they'll stay away from Christians. They don't want to be in a ditch. They're already in the ditch. But what is the root cause? Finish this up. This judgmentalism. This law and word mishandling we all struggle with. All of us. Let me go ahead and make that clear. All of us struggle with it. Bottom line, sometimes Christians forget the story of God's love. Some of us have forgotten and failed to act on the story of how we became and how we continue to have the right to be God's people. Look at verse 35 to 38 and what Jesus says here. Oh, man. Is that 35 or 36? Okay. But love your enemies and do good and lend expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great. Listen to this. And you will be sons of the Most High. Hear about your God right here, y'all. For he is kind to the ungrateful. And listen to the second one. And the evil. Be merciful. Why? Even as your Father is merciful. Do you see it? It's as clear as day, isn't it? We handle others like we believe God handles us. We've missed or forgotten or being ungrateful about God's good measure pressed down, shaken together, running over love for us. And Jesus is saying, if you are God's people, you should handle others with forgiveness and grace and patience and mercy because that's how God has handled and loved and made you his. God handles us like a good father does a son, and then on top of that, people are described here as evil and ungrateful, and that is towards God, which means we are in debt to God for how we have sinned and not giving him glory, all of us, but that God did not give us what we deserve. He gave us sonship and his fatherhood and made us his moral and spiritual enemies. He made us his family and his people by grace. And for Jesus to assert this to these very legalistic Pharisees would be crazy. But here's the wonder of it. God balanced the scales of our evil. He just sent Jesus to pay the penalty of our sin and take the guilt that was due us so that we would not be judged like we should have. But given mercy like only a loving God could have. We have the blessing of God that Jesus has earned and freely given to us like we are undeserving and unearning, spoiled by God in a good way, children. God was legalistic and judgmental to his only begotten son so that children of God don't have to be and live like that. That is Christianity. None of us we're judged like we could and maybe should have before God. If God had put our deeds and hearts on the scale of his holy judgment and just let it go, we would be pummeled with his condemnation, all of us. 
all of you in this room, I'm in the group too, just because I'm at the front. No, all of us. If God were to take his grace away right now, I don't care how many great things you would have done without Jesus, the scales would be so unbalanced. You would be so condemned, you couldn't get out your own ditch. Even after some of you, some of us, all of us, right, became Christians and made promises and vows to follow God. I'm going to stop doing this, God, and I'm going to do that, and I'm going to be good here, right? And, and we have fallen short and failed. But know what the Bible teaches? God still doesn't give you what we deserve. He keeps loving us as children and chasing us down and picking us up when we fall and listens to our immature, foolish chattering with adoration and giving us mercy because of the sacrifice of Jesus. And when we ever forget that, and whatever that stops being the central message and motivation and resting place for our story, we all slip into Phariseeism and judgmentalism. Look, I know how hard it is for us Christians, and I'm not making an excuse for our judgmentalism. I am offering you mercy. I'm ministering the mercy and calling you need to get grace. The grace you need to be free and freed from judgmentalism, to show forgiveness and grace and right heart and manner to talk and engage people in this world about their struggles and burdens and brokenness. And I know it's hard because like anyone living here, we get insecure about our faith. I'm a tell on us. We get insecure about what we believe. We all doubt that it is working. We look at our lives, we see how things are falling apart, and we start doubting, is this really working? We get down on ourselves, we have a hard time trusting God, and we just want to make our own laws and put people in boxes and in their places and put sins in their places and how we should live and how we should vote and how we rate with issues as most important. We want to manage the confusion and chaos of the world and of our own sin. Face it. We are all very afraid that we will lose our faith or that somewhere our faith isn't true. Some of us want to divert attention or not feel so badly about the difficult pain or sin we are actually struggling with. Are we afraid that what we have built our stories on, right, will be destroyed or taken away or our families and way of life harmed or that truth will be lost and, and then so will we. Or maybe it's that God has done so much to change us. We are personally passionate about how God made things better for us in our lives. We want to make sure everybody else does it too. And somewhere along the line, we believe the lie that you and I are ultimately the guardians of God's truth. The guardians of God himself and the guardians of the gospel. When the truth is, according to what Jesus says about being sons here in verse 35, the best way to guard the faith in your relationship with God in this world is to let God be the guardian and the trustee of our faith and for us to concentrate on just being the children. And Pastor Don, Tom is going to deal with this 
beautifully next week about being sons and daughters. Because one barrier to faith, of course, is hypocritical parents. <laughs> Your parents believed, but they acted stupid at home, that kind of stuff. So how can you believe? He's going to deal with some of that next week. The most important piece in engaging and dealing with this crazy world is the story of God's love for sinners. When you deal with people, when you're about to get on Facebook, when you see something offensive, stop. Breathe and tell yourself the story of how you became God's child. Just do it. Try it. Breathe and say, I was a sinner saved by God's grace. I am an orphan spiritually adopted by a good God. Now engage. Why are Christians so judgmental? Either we've never really known the gospel or we've forgotten and failed to tell you and show you how and how much Jesus loves us. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, help us. We all struggle with this. Phariseeism is difficult. You've done some good things for us, and we've made that the ultimate law for everybody. Lord, I pray for this church that they would run to where they can hear the story of grace over and over and over again. You did say that the spiritual man judges all things. But Lord, we know that the spiritual man is somebody transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Continue to transform us. Help us not to judge one another in here by, by laws that we've created and fences we put around things. Lord, as the scripture says, let us be like our Father. Help us to be merciful. Help us to be forgiving. Help us to be loving to the ungrateful and evil. This we ask and pray in Jesus' name. Amen.